Is on, they will know. Huh? <clears throat> I was thinking about that. We are one in the spirit. We. Pray with me. Lord God and Heavenly Father, be here. Holy Spirit, bring about your fruit. Jesus, be King. In your name, amen. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Bonner, and I, I am a, still a teacher, Vern, and so I'm excited too, uh, but in a different way. Uh, this is my first time wearing a tie since about spring break, so um, thanks. I, it, my arms are a little tired doing that. Um, Adrian had asked me to deliver a reading sermon uh, about a month or so ago. And the only reading sermon I could recall in my life was a time when my father, who was a music minister in our church, um, took over on a Sunday evening because the visiting pastor did not show, and so my father read the Sermon on the Mount, um, which his father, pastor, had said, son, if you never need a sermon, that's the one to give. So I thought about it. Uh, I also thought about uh, R.C. Sproul and Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon that I could bring forth to Sunday morning. Um, But this was about the time, uh, the height of unrest in our country because of the death of George Floyd. And knowing that heaven will not look just like me, knowing that there were voices that, uh, that I did not know There were voices that I had left unheard, theologically sound voices of people who are different than me. Um, I set about to look for something that would be important now as well as as when it was originally given. I asked some friends who are theology professors and pastors in their own churches, what are some uh, sermons of women from women from people of color that you know that would be really impactful for, for today's congregations? 
And many of them said, I don't know. And that's heartbreaking to me. To think about where heaven will be, the billions of people who all are different, and the voices we're hearing all look the same. Now, that's not the truth for the entire world, but that is the truth for me. And so it was important for me to stretch out. And I found this sermon from Desmond Tutu that he delivered at, Duke, at a Duke University chapel service in 1986. Now, so a little bit of backstory uh, to this. Um, he, there was a, the chapel was filled. The chapel room was filled. An overflow room was filled. And uh, this, his, this uh, service was being broadcast on television. And his plane was delayed. And so over and over, the officiant, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, the, uh, the, the leader of the chapel um, said, oh, well, he's not here yet, so everybody please stand and turn to page such and such in the hymnal, and we'll sing, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, there was announcement that his plane has landed, announcement that he's on his way, and when he arrived, it was in the middle of a hymn, and you can listen to, uh, to this chapel service, and the swelling of the music and the applause, part of it is, they've been waiting for over an hour uh, for this man, and, it's, and he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and I feel that way about Christ. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And when, he, when that arrives, wow, but how, how great of a joy that will be. And so at the beginning of his sermon, he says, thank you for that, that wonderful welcome. And so when I say that to you, uh, know that that's the context of, of what's going on. Um, oh, there we go. So Desmond Tutu, uh, born in South Africa in 1931, went to, uh, went to study in London, uh, is an ordained priest in the Anglican Church of South Africa, uh, and he is known for his human rights and anti-apartheid act- activism. Now, when he won the Nobel Prize in 1984, um, his, uh, the, there's kind of controversy that, that people had wanted to give it to people like Nelson Mandela. But that was too far uh, to, to an extreme. And so he was given, given that. Um, so he's received the, the Nobel Peace Prize in 84. He's been around the world and multiple times coming back to South Africa. His passport had been taken from him, not allowing him to travel anymore or he even to go home. And I want you to understand uh, the apartheid is institutional, regulated, lawful segregation and racism in South Africa starting in about 1948. And boy, do we know what has happened in the 1940s about segregating people by, by their ethnicity and how wrong that has, has turned out for our world, and yet it happened again. Um, so much so that uh, families were ripped apart, um, not just black and white, but even tribes within South Africa were told to be separate. Uh, People had to carry papers uh, about their ethnicity and and saying that they are allowed to be in certain places at certain times. Terrifying. And this man grew up through that. And so even in this sermon in 1986, the country is still in the midst of that. So please keep that context in mind. So he's come on stage. There's lots of applause. And he sits down. He says, that is spine tingling. My dear brothers and sisters, good evening. Is that all? Good evening. evening. I don't know whether you heard the story of the minister's wife shown in a cartoon in bed with her husband. And she says, darling, 
can't sleep. Please preach me one of your sermons. Please, please forgive me for arriving late. Thank you very, very much for the wonderful, wonderful welcome. I know that many of you have waited for a very long time and do forgive us. I come, first of all, ready to say thank you. Thank you for all of you and your wonderful love, for your caring and your support. I'm already sounding like a record that is cracked with a needle stuck. And I also know that I use words that are utterly inadequate in expressing thanks. But do know that this is shot through and through with a feeling that is ineffable. And in this one instance, I know without fear of any contradiction that I do speak on behalf of millions when I say I come expressing their thanks for your prayers, for your love, and for your upholding of them. In the book of Zechariah, there is a portion where Yahweh says to the prophet, speaking about the restored Jerusalem, he says that it will be so populous that it will have not have conventional walls. And Yahweh God says, I will be like a wall of fire surrounding Jerusalem. And those of us who are in situations of injustice and oppression, perhaps more than those who are not in such situations, know just what it means to be upheld by the love and the prayers of their sisters and brothers scattered around the earth. You remember when Peter asked Jesus, what will happen to us who have followed you and left all? And Jesus saying, you will have sisters and brothers more than you can number. And this sounded like the extravagant promise of a young man with a somewhat dubious pedigree. You and I know what it means, this exhilarating thing to belong to the church of God. And to know that you have sisters and brothers spread over the face of the earth, most of whom you will not set eyes on this side of death. And so we know what it means to be surrounded by the wall of fire, this love, this caring, this concern. I remember when I was still general secretary of the South African Council of Churches and we're feeling a little sorry for ourselves because of harassment from the South African government, which was seeking to discredit us. And we're feeling so low, someone says we could crawl under a snake. And we got a letter from someone I didn't know from a bar of soap. Now, you and I know that in God's universe, there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. But when you are in Johannesburg and you receive a letter from Alaska, I tell you this, and this Lutheran pastor says, Bishop Tutu, in this letter, I just want you to know that we pray for you here in our parish in Alaska. And he includes the bulletin of this parish. And there we have the names of the South African, of South African Council of Churches. We are being prayed for by name in Alaska. 
Of which other human organization could a similar story so easily be told? And then on one occasion, I met up with an anchorite, and she told me that her day began at two in the morning. And she prayed for me. (laughs) I am prayed for by name at two in the morning in the woods of California. What chance does the South African government have? And so I come to you saying, nothing that happens to a Christian can ever be of only individual or personal significance. You know, we belong to a body, and therefore everything about us is ultimately corporate. Which means that when you fail, you know who to blame. Those who didn't pray for you. And if you do succeed you know that you cannot take the credit for yourself. And so you might recall that lovely, lovely story in the first book of Kings where Elijah has this contest with the prophets of Baal. He says to the people, you are going to have to choose who is the real McCoy God, Baal or Yahweh. And so he says, let us have this contest. You, 450 prophets of Baal, have your own beast that you are going to prepare for sacrifice and do everything to get it ready, but don't alight the wood, and I will do likewise. And then we will each call on our God, and the God who answers with fire, let him be the God. And so the prophets of Baal begin. They prepare the ox, and they start shouting, and uh, they really get into frenzies. They start in the morning, and at midday, nothing has happened. And Elijah is having the time of his life, as it were, looking on, and he's taunting them. He says, shout louder. Maybe he's deaf, or maybe he's gone on holiday, or he's asleep, or, although the Bible puts it very elegantly, in fact, he says, maybe he's gone to the loo. Isn't it marvelous? We have a God who is always available He doesn't take a holiday. I once saw this book of cartoons called My God, and one of them showed God saying, I wish I could sometimes say, don't call me, I'll call you. But our God is not like that. There are no crossed lines. For each one of us, God pays all the attention as if we are the only person around. Isn't that remarkable? That he knows each one of us by name. He doesn't know us en masse. You are you. Truly, utterly unique. Created because God loved you. Out of the overflowingness of his love, he created you. He created me. You remember that lovely piece out of the book of Jeremiah? He's trying to reassure Jeremiah who is retiring, sensitive, scared of being a prophet. And God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Hey, Jeremiah, you are not an accident. You are not a divine afterthought. I knew you from all eternity, and you are part of my divine plan. And no one but you can fulfill the part that I have set aside for you. 
you are unique. God was saying to Jeremiah what he says to us in Ephesians, that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That sometimes we may look like accidents, but none of us is an accident. That we are those incredible things, the finite made for the infinite. You know the meaning of unique? Well, the other day I had a birthday, and my wife gave me a birthday card, which is the very least you can expect from your wife. And it showed a Darby and Joan couple on the outside and and said, we have a beautiful and unique relationship. And when you turn inside, it says, I am beautiful, and you are certainly unique. (laughs) That you are something that is precious. When God created us, he blew the breath of life into our spirits so that forever afterwards, each one of us became a God carrier. Each one of us had to be treated with deep reverence. Each one of us was fragile. God carrying us in the palms of his hands. Each one of us created in the image of God. Each one of us, God's viceroy, God's partner. And so the evil of the system at home is not so much the pain and anguish it causes, great as these must be, as they indeed are. The awful thing about apartheid The most blasphemous thing about it is when it makes the child of God doubt that they are a child of God. And so the most subversive thing about our faith is that it can say to someone who's had their dignity rubbed in the dust and trampled underfoot, hey, you know something, mama? That old lady walking down the dusty streets of Soweto? whose name is not known by her employers because her real name is too difficult, and so they will just call her Annie. Mama, as you walk down the street and they ask, who's that? You say, oh, that's God's partner. That is subversive of injustice and oppression. And the scriptures say to us, we have a God A God who is forever a God who takes sides. He scandalizes people because there he was, choosing to be on the side of that rabble of slaves to lead them out of bondage into the promised land of his kingdom. And he is forever the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. A God who chooses to be on the side of the oppressed of the hungry, of the homeless, of the despised ones. He scandalizes always, and he says for his church, you have to be where I will be. You want to know where I am? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was sick, You visited me. When I was imprisoned, 
you came to see me. And when they say, Lord, when did we see you and did these things to you? Yes, and as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren and sisters, you are not doing it just for them. They were me. I, the divine incognito who is always a hidden God and is seen only in the most unprepossessing, unlikely places. And that is where you have the theophany of God. And so we are able to say to the perpetrators of injustice and oppression anywhere and everywhere in the world, you have already lost. <laughs> you, you, have, you, have, you have lost. You have already lost. Who can take on God? Our God in the life and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says it is quite impossible for evil to prevail forever over good. Oh no, 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 no. It says goodness will prevail. No, no, no. Goodness has prevailed over evil. Light has prevailed over darkness. Life has prevailed over death. Laughter and joy and peace and compassion and caring. These have all prevailed over their horrible counterparts. And God says, you and you and you and you, will you help me? Will you help me so that we can transfigure the ugliness of this world? It's hostilities. It's alienation. It's harshness. It's selfishness. It's graspingness. It's pain. It's anguish. Will you please help me? Let us transfigure it. Let us transform it. Will you help me so that my children, black and white, even in South Africa, will be able to say, hey, we've been to the mountaintop and we have seen the promised land. Make them exalt together. Yes, God has given us something new, a new South Africa, a free South Africa, a non-racial, a democratic, a just South Africa, so that all of us, black and white, will be able to sing free at last, Free at last. Thank God Almighty. Free at last. God said, Will you help me? Will you? Will you help me so that we can have more compassion, more caring, more justice, more peace, more laughter, more togetherness? more fellowship, more holding on to one another, black and white, and knowing that we can survive only together. There cannot be any true freedom for anyone until all are free. And then, then will you help me? Won't you? So that the kingdoms of this world will become as the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, you are God of us all. 
We all need you. We all suffer from this disease of sin, whether it's our own or our neighbors or our ancestors. And God, we rely on you. Inspire us to partner with you, to go where you already are, serving and loving the unlovable. Sometimes that's me. God, thank you that your heaven will be so delightfully diverse. We pray your power and glory as we go forward today and every day, finding those who may be the least and loving them the way you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan.